Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport. With in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Are we ready to start this thing? Hello and welcome to episode 137 of the Inside Try Show, sponsored by Resilient Nutrition, who make nutrition products to help you perform at your best mentally and physically. I'm Helen Murray, and each week on the Inside Try Show, I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. You are going to be hearing part one of a long interview, actually, that I recorded with Bob Babbitt. It was quite long. I mean, I can talk, but Bob can talk more. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to break it down into two different parts, so this week and next week. And both of these episodes actually are not going to feature a whole load of my news or your news. And that is because I have had to pre-record them a little bit ahead of time. The main reason for that is that very word, time. And you see, this week I'm actually away on a Welsh language residential course. Yes, they exist. And yeah, David and Nia, it's been Cymryd o Ddyfrych Eich Challenge. So yep, David and Nia, I am taking your challenge very seriously. And that challenge, you might be aware, is doing an interview in Welsh with David and Nia on their Welsh language triathlon podcast, Nawr or Awr at the end of the year. So, oh golly, my Welsh is still very pants. I have been trying so, so hard and it is so, so hard. I'm doing bits of reading. I'm trying to listen to Welsh language radio, Radio Cymru. I'm trying to watch bits of television in Welsh, but my spoken Welsh is utterly utterly dreadful. I mean, everything's pretty bad, but my spoken is really bad because I don't get many opportunities to practice. So I am hoping that five days immersed in all things Welsh 
and trying to speak Welsh is going to help and give me even just a tiny bit of a chance to actually have a bit of a conversation later this year. It's currently, it would be very, very one-sided. In fact, it would probably be completely one-sided and uh, I would have to resort to a hell of a lot of English. If I can get that to Wenglish, as in a mixture of Welsh and English, that would be amazing. If I can get it to semi, I don't know, understandable Welsh, well then that would be absolutely flipping awesome. So we will see, but let's give it a go over these five days. I'm going to be taking my trainers with me. I am going to be taking my bike as well because I think I will need to keep <laughs> I think I'll need a few breaks from all things Cymraeg if you've ever suddenly been immersed in another language if you I don't know if you speak other languages or, or just quite what and oh oh it's horrible on the brain so yeah I will need that space <laughs> with a bit of fresh air before we get to part one of the interview with Bob Babbitt let's just get another tip for you from Dr Greg Potter he is one of the brains behind podcast sponsors Resilient Nutrition he works very much on the product side of things he knows his stuff he has a PhD in nutrition and sleep and podcast sponsors Resilient Nutrition do long-range fuel which is just yummy 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 nut butters and they come in jars they come in pouches super good stuff they also do something which is a little bit like hot chocolate it's called switched on and that helps with fatigue so if you're waking up one morning and you just feel dreadful then that can kind of help perk you up a little bit so greg knows his stuff when it comes to nutrition and we've been talking a little bit about training the gut and things like that and this week it's about how do you actually minimise gut problems through your nutrition in the week or two leading up to a race, so in that taper period. There are a few things that people commonly do that can help minimise the likelihood of any digestive discomfort in this period and also during the event itself. Some people find that just reducing their intake of fibre is very helpful because fibre is largely non-digestible, readily fermented by various different microorganisms in the digestive tract, and that can lead to things like bloating and gas. So sometimes that's enough. In other instances, people might want to cut down or eliminate certain items. And common offenders would be lactose, which is a type of sugar that's in dairy products. And then also some people have to go with a slightly more extreme approach and that might entail a low FODMAP diet and Helen I don't know if you've come across low FODMAP diets before yep what they are is just types of short chain carbohydrates that are readily fermented and when that takes place in your digestive tract that can of course lead to various different digestive issues and so by reducing these FODMAPs and FODMAP is just an acronym for these different types of carbohydrates a lot of people experience relief from these problems and for that reason low FODMAP diets are often used for various different types of bowel disorders but examples of FODMAP rich foods include lentils, onions, garlic various fruits basically lots of things that are, are very high in sugar or fiber 
and a few other things too. But if you look at the Monash app, it's an app that's been made available by some folks at a university in Australia. You can find lots more information about these FODMAPs. And some people find that they don't need to follow a low FODMAP diet all the time because obviously that can be problematic in itself because you're less likely to meet some of your nutrient needs. And instead, just going on this type of low FODMAP approach, beginning at least 24 hours event until the end of the event, can be enough. You can get 10% off everything over at resilientnutrition.com. Just use the code INSIDETRY10. Time for this week's interview. If I mention Bob Babbitt, you will probably be thinking breakfast with Bob. The American's name is synonymous with the sport of triathlon. He did his first Ironman in Hawaii in the very early days, so that was back in the early 80s, and he has pretty much been hooked on triathlon ever since, both as a competitor and on the media side of it as well. He is really passionate, like I am, about sharing people's stories. He loves having breakfast with the pros, doesn't he? And he is, oh, it's so nice to hear just his passion for the Challenged Athletes Foundation, which he actually helped to co-found, which is just yeah, an incredible, incredible charity. So enjoy. This is part one of the interview with Bob Babbitt. Bob Babbitt, welcome to the Inside Try Show. How are you doing, Bob? Oh, I am spectacular. How are you? I am good. And I'm looking at your screen and you've got this like glorious setting behind you. I'm like, you've got your sort of Hawaiian shirt on. I'm there with you. We're at Huggos, aren't we? Exactly. This is actually the backdrop at Huggos where we normally do breakfast with Bob. So uh, whenever we're doing during COVID, we started a not quite Kona edition. So had Poncho Man record a, a little intro and, and you'd see Jan Ferdano and Lucy, and then you, you you play a little poncho man, you see a big smile come on their face. And it was like, oh, I want to get back there. So this just reminds me of, we'll all be back in Kona before we know it. Well, I feel very honored that I feel now like I'm semi in Kona with you doing a breakfast with Bob. Yeah, we are. Exactly. <laughs> you're where you're Hawaiian. I like that. That's very cool. We're, we're all set for a, another day of going down, swimming to the coffee boat and you know, hanging out and watching the greatest athletes in the world do do their thing. Oh, on, a, on a slightly, slightly different note, but similar. Um, when we record this, it is the afternoon with me. It's breakfast with you. What yes. is, genuine question now, what is breakfast like for Bob Babbitt? <laughs> breakfast, breakfast is a lot of fruit. It's bananas, it's oranges, it's grapes. You know, it's, it's that's that's pretty much it. Every every morning, it's a little. My take my little bowl, toss all the fruit in it, and head down to the beach and try to get in the ocean. I, I try to get in the ocean this time of year a couple times a day. The water is sixty eight degrees Fahrenheit. It's just beautiful, and driving down there and just there's nobody there. Going in there, having your own private beach at, at six in the morning is, is pretty sweet. And are you an early riser? Are you a sort of oh, like yeah. a 5 a.m. kind of guy? Or? Yeah, yep, 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Is, uh, is pretty much it, yeah. Wow. And and would you have coffee with your fruit? Do you need a bit of caffeine to kickstart no, you? Really, not really a coffee guy. Just uh, get my get my fruits and then you know, every once in a while I'm a hot tea. I'm a hot tea person. Actually, uh, one of my 
prized possessions was a was a box of tea from Alistair Brownlee. He's like, you got to have real tea. <laughs> He's sponsored by them, Bob. <laughs> I, I I don't care. I got I got tea from Alistair Brownlee. That's like a high point. That's like a high point in my life. It's good. That stuff's good quality. That that's that's it is good, good tea. quality. Yeah, it's good. That that. That's a good tea to have. If you were going to have some tea in the UK, it's uh, you want your Yorkshire tea. <laughs> yes, that's a deal. And, and finding out about Yorkshire tea, I was like, okay, this is the real. If Alistair says it's real, it's real. <laughs> oh, now, Bob, do you remember in 2013? I'm really sure it's 2013. I emailed you and we did this whole kind of documentary about Ironman triathlon on yes. BBC radio. Yes, I do remember that. That was, yes, that was right around the time we filmed We Are Triathletes, which was in at Challenge Roth 2014. Yeah, yes. I remember that. And and your, you had um, your voice explaining what like an Ironman is, was part of the montage at the beginning, like really setting the scene of this drama. Uh, it wasn't really a drama, but then we had like 90 minutes of, yeah, all about Ironman, which was not you know it was like a first we it hadn't really been done on on bbc radio before that's very cool so bob wow you like do you sometimes think so for athletes a lot of athletes when they get to the world championships and things like that like part of that week leading up to the race like if they make it on breakfast with bob like it's a massive highlight for them that's well, a highlight for me I mean, the deal is that uh, what I love about the show is I, I feel that a lot of folks out there think that a Jan Ferdano or Lucy Charles was ordained to be a professional triathlete. And they sort of grew up when people were pampering them and taking care of them. And you're going to be a professional triathlete. You're going to be the best in the world. And I think when people meet our athletes and realize that you know, Jan Ferdano's mom put him in swim lessons so he didn't die surfing, right? And that Lucy Charles was trying so hard to make the Olympic team in swimming and had this work ethic that was, the, that's one of the things, Helen, that, that really gets me is I love when there's a connection. I'm looking at a, I've got a painting here of Dave Scott that I'm staring at right now. And Dave was the hardest worker when he was in college as a college swimmer, college water polo and, you know, U.S. team water polo, all that. He was he was really the hardest worker, but he didn't have the genetics to be that world, to be an Olympian in swimming. Well, then he fell into this silly sport of triathlon and all that work ethic stuff paid off and he became the best. Here's Lucy Charles not making the Olympic team in the open water swim or in the pool in 2012 jumps in a triathlon on a lark and now is one of the most decorated triathletes around, but it's because of her work ethic and they sort of fell into the sport. And I think it's what I love about our show is we're able to share that backstory where somebody didn't know that they were going to be a great triathlete. Now, when we were interviewing Sky Monch, when we were at St. George, we were in Zion's bank was our, was where we did the show from. And Sky's like, I was a teller at Zion's Bank in college. And she was a teller. She worked, her parents basically told her when she graduated high school, we don't have the dollars to send you to college. If you wanna to go to college, you better do it on your own. 
So she was cleaning houses and she was working as a teller and she finished, you know, getting her CPA and everything without owing a penny. She, the work ethic that our athletes have and, and people realizing the backstory of all of a sudden someone's a professional athlete. They didn't go, they didn't start out thinking I'm going to be a professional triathlete and now they are. So I think that's the connection between our viewers and our athletes is they can, everybody can relate to each other. Plus when we're, our sport is so unique that we are able to be on the course with Lucy Charles and Jan Ferdano, I can't go play Wimbledon with somebody. I can't go to the Masters and play with somebody, but I can be, as an age grouper, I can sit down with Jan Ferdano afterwards and say, boy, the wind was bad at 40 miles. He says, yeah, yeah, the wind was bad at 40 miles for me too. So there, there's a relationship there between our age groupers and our pros that is very unique. Can, can you see, though, why, why some of them do, like some of the professionals do get that excitement that they're, they're oh my god I, I, I they, they seem like almost sometimes even more thrilled than you are to be speaking to them well I, you know what i mean it's 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 a mutual admiration society i i know that what they if they are the best at what they're doing i know how hard they work and I, and my i feel my job is to showcase the, the, not just the talent that the athletes have, but the personalities. When you, you know, you're sitting with a Sam Long or with, you know, with, with uh, a Christian or a Gustav, their personalities just shine through. They're all just, all of our athletes are so unique. And I think our sport is so unique because, you know, if you're a bike racer, the best person doesn't necessarily win because it's a lot of tactics, a lot of psychology. In our sport, it doesn't every your hard work pays off. And I think there's a relationship between all the other pros because on race day, the best person is going to win 99.9% of the time. And they really can't control what the other person does all they did. So I think they can, a Lionel Sanders can be buddies with a Jan Ferdano. Maybe, you know, maybe they don't think they can be, but they really can be because they can't really control what the other person has done in training get there so i i just like i love that relationship and the other part about the show is think about the fact they're giving up 15 20 minutes of their time and this is the most important week of their year this is the most important week if they place top five that changes everything in their life well they're sitting there in the chair and i'm sure they're thinking i got to get my bike tuned up i've got to go here i've got a sponsor thing and then as soon as Poncho Man starts playing, you just see them relax and think, I got 15 minutes. This is, I, I can handle this. I think there's, there's, there's a calming to it. That's just, I, we all benefit from it. I love listening to their stories and hopefully they enjoy spending time with us. Do you ever get nervous? Are there any times that you've been nervous about interviewing someone? You know, not really. Um, I think I would be nervous if I went in unprepared. Uh, but what you don't see behind me is there's probably 20 books with notes on every plastic coated. You know, I'm still the old school. I'm not using an iPhone or an iPad. It's 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 yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. It's it's notes that go back to I mean, and some of them. 
there'll be, you know, 20, 30 pages of stuff, you know, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, because I've been interviewing those type of folks for so long. There's always little notes, little stories that you learn during the interview that you add on, you know, that you add on to your notes. So it just makes it, if I went into an interview, I think I would be nervous if I went in and I wasn't prepared. So someone like Robin Williams, the very famous actor, was very heavily involved with Challenge Athletes Foundation and a a huge, huge supporter of like all of your work. Did you did you get a little were you a bit like, oh, my goodness, the first time you met him, you're like, that's Robin Williams. You know, what's fascinating about Robin is Robin. He loved hanging out with Greg Welch and Scott Tinley. And when when he could go during our ride, people don't realize, I think he owned over a hundred bicycles when he, when he passed away and actually, and, and they sold all the bikes and half the funds went to CAF and half went uh, to the Christopher Reeve foundation. But he could be, he says, when I'm on a bike, I'm just another geek in a helmet, you know, because people will see him out there and go like, wait, was that Robin? Wait, was that Robin Williams? And he's gone. Right. So he, he, that's his freedom. His freedom was riding his bike. And it was, it was fascinating to watch because every year for 11 years, Rudy Garcia Tolson, double above knee amputee, uh, and he started tra- racing with Robin when he was like 10, 11 years old. He would do the 1.2 mile swim. Robin did the 56 mile bike ride. And this was not an easy ride with Tinley and Paul Huddle and, that, and Steve Hag, the Olympic gold medals in cycling. And then Scott Tinley would do the 13.1 mile run. They were team Braveheart. Because Rudy used to carry a little business card that said, a brave heart is a powerful weapon. And just that bond between the three of them. So one year, Rudy received an award up at Nike. It was called the Casey Martin Award. It's for people who are inspirational and disabled. And so Casey's on stage, and he's going to be presenting this award to Rudy. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I normally would present this award because it's named after me. But somebody performed last night in New York and flew all the way here uh, so that he could present this award. Please welcome Robin Williams. Robin comes bounding on stage and they go, hey, they tell me that Rudy's a challenged athlete. Listen, to me, a challenged athlete's a 300 pound guy trying to squeeze into a pair of bike shorts. Rudy's not a challenged athlete. That guy's a challenged athlete. Robin just loved being with, with Rudy and loved being part of that. He, I told him, so Rudy, you know, Robin, uh, Robin, Rudy really, really adores you. He thinks so much of you. He goes, you know what? Uh, Rudy knows I'm his video game pimp because I get him all the new releases. That's really all he cares about. <laughs> and the other, the other great Robin story is knowing that, and we couldn't really promote that Robin would be there, but the media knew that Robin was going to be there. So the morning of the event, is all the news trucks would be out there because Robin Williams is there. And you, invariably, they'd, they'd say, hey, can we get a soundbite from Robin Williams? So I go over and say, Robin, are you okay to do a little, you know, a little interview before the, the event starts? And he goes, is it live? And that's, that was the thing for Robin. He'd be he's like, he live, a live microphone was like putting raw meat in front of a lion, right? I say, yeah, Robin, it's a live interview. He goes over. Uh, the the uh, weather person goes, uh, Robin, how are you going to feel at the end of this 56-mile bike ride? How am I going to feel? Is this live? 
I'm going to feel like there's a river of sweat like Niagara Falls running down the crack of my ass. And you can see the, the news person's like, it's Robin Williams. I guess that's okay. Yeah, but it's live. They couldn't do anything about it. That's what Robin loved. And Robin, the, the people who participated in our event were, they were obviously Robin Williams fans, but they would just walk up to shake his hand to thank him for being there. Nobody was doing the, oh, can I get your autograph? That type of stuff. It, they, it was the amount of respect that he got and the amount of respect and, and really credibility he gave to the event and to the, to the cause was, was pretty special. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you remember the first time that you met him? I do. And it was, you know, and the reason he got into this, Scott Tinley and Greg Welch and those guys did the Escape from Alcatraz triathlon every year that went by his house. And Robin, being a big endurance sports fan, that's how he met those guys. And that's what got him through Scott Tinley and Virginia Tinley, who was our executive director at CF, that got him to our event. And we were actually at a, 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 a VIP party beforehand, very small group, Scott Tinley, Greg Welch, Robin, and those guys just started, you know, started uh, talking in Scottish accents, Robin Williams doing Scottish accent with Welchie and Tinley, and they just cracked each other up. You wouldn't know that Robin was this Academy Award winner and he was this huge star. He was with his peeps. He was with people he wanted to be with and just watching him. He's actually, he was very quiet when, and, but when the light went on, when uh, he was with people he wanted to cut up with, he, he was all on and all in. What are you like, Bob? Are you, are you quite a quiet person away from the microphone, away from the work that you do? Nah, <laughs> nah, I, I love, in fact, what drove me crazy during the whole COVID thing was, I, I'm I'm a people person. I, I just I like to meet people. I like to find out what makes them tick. And so my wife would look around when we're supposed to be in isolation here, and I'd be gone. Right? I'd just be driving around, just looking for a, a, an who can I interview? Yeah, you know, a coffee shop, <laughs> anything to talk to people is like, oh my god, I'm going out of my mind. So no, I I I love people because you. Every single day, you, the other day I went in for uh, getting a haircut and just a girl like, what's the Challenge Athlete Foundation? And it turns out that her sister uh, lost her leg when she was like nine years old from, from cancer. And so it's was like, listen, if she needs a grant of some sort, let us know. But that, that's, I just feel that between the sport of triathlon, between Challenge and Challenge Athletes Foundation, there's always a bond 
to talk to somebody. And do you like, have you always been like that? I mean, you started out initially as a, as a teacher, didn't you? So I guess there's always been that kind of people element. I mean, you can't be a teacher without, (laughs) if you hate people. (laughs) Well, and even going back to when I was a little kid, I was sort of that guy who organized everything. Right. So if, we, if those are going to be a, you think it's not a big deal to get kids together to play. But the deal is, if I go to Helen's house and say, Helen, we're going to be playing soccer in the street. The first thing you say is who else is playing? Well, so now I've got to be creative because you're the first person I went to. I got to go, well, I got Jimmy and Johnny and Jerry and I got all these. Oh, OK, I'll come now because nobody wants to be the first. So you find that, you know, then I go for a quickly from that person's house to next person's house and go, OK, uh, Helen's in. Okay, cool. I'm coming. So that that sort of led to everything in terms of, you know, when I first did Iron Man in 1980, I came away from it thinking this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Other if it meant this much to me, it's going to mean it's going to mean just as much to somebody else. How do I share that? You know, and I came back from that as a teacher and, you know, started uh, the Iron Kids Triathlon at our school. You know, we, the kids would do a little, little run and a little obstacle course and a little swim in the pool that was in the complex. And they got a incredible Hulk. I went down to Mexico and bought these big, incredible Hulk, uh, the things that were ceramic. There was a bank, a Hulk is carrying a log or something. And that was the trophy for all the kids. That was the iron kids trophy. So it's, yeah, it's, I've, I've always loved just sort of, you know, being that organizer guy and, and trying to pull things together. And that led to, you know, uh, competitor magazine and led to a series we created called Muddy Buddy and uh, lots of other stuff. Do you appreciate quite how much or how instrumental you have been in like raising the profile of triathlon and kind of maintaining really like pushing so, so hard getting stories out there, all of the work that you've done? You know, I, I think that's for other people. To, I, I mean, for me, I'm just doing, I'm just being me. I'm just doing the things that, that make, that I, that I think are cool. And, you know, when you, like I was just telling you about the film on this, this kid, Landa Sims, who's a quadruple amputee baseball player, which those words should not go together. Someone is missing his hands and missing his legs. And playing a sport where, oh, I don't know, you're swinging a bat, you're throwing. Every aspect of it says someone who's missing arms and hands and and feet shouldn't be able to play this. Well, the documentary film that Eric Cochran produced, and I was lucky enough to be executive producer on, that film comes out July 12th. And just, again, one of those things where Eric called me and then we, it just sort of grew over time. And this young man now is thrown out the first pitch at the Yankees game. He's best friends with Joe Musgrove from the Padres. And he's going to be thrown out first pitch at San Francisco Giants game coming up in July. And the film uh, will be traveling around the country with it. He'll be in Yankee Stadium on July 11th. But all those type of things happen because you are doing the right thing. You know, when you when you think from your heart, I, I think that, that good things happen. When in the 1980s, uh, some people told you that triathlon was a fad. <laughs> what, <laughs> what would you um, what would you be saying to those people now? 
Well, it's fascinating you mentioned that. So in, in, I was working, I left after finishing the Ironman, I knew in 1980, and there's only 108 of us. And, you know, I had, we had no clue. And you know the story with a $75 police auction bike with pannier sleeping bag and tent on the bike, because I thought you swam 2.4, rode 56, camped out and rode back the next day and ran the marathon. No, none of us had any idea. I mean, Dave Scott actually had his parents following him in a station wagon with a spare bike on the roof of the car because they sort of had an idea of what they were doing. Most of us had no clue what we were doing. But then, then I went and worked for a magazine called Running and Triathlon News for uh, this amazing uh, visionary named Mike Plant, who, you know, his magazine was called the Running News and it became Running and Triathlon News. I became his LA editor. And then that when that went out of business, um, I wanted to do a, a magazine and I went to... It was two magazines in California, one called Southwest Cycling, one called California Bicyclists. I went to the owners of both and said, listen, if we did a magazine that combined running, triathlon, cycling, all mountain biking, all in under one magazine, it could be really special. And both of them said the exact same thing. We would never put a skinny runner on the cover of our magazine. And triathlon's a fad and it'll be gone in five years. And this is 87. And so it was one of those things where I came back and some friends gave us, came to us and gave us a check for $17,000 and said, go start your own magazine. And seriously, a month later, we launched competitor magazine under, you know, we were in 200 square feet of office underneath 20,000 pounds of bike racks in a guy's garage and didn't pay ourselves for a year and a half and had no clue what we were doing, but we did believe in this sport. We believed in not just the sport of triathlon, but it's the whole combination of, of endurance, right? And that's what I used to love. We, we for 20 some years, we did this endurance awards banquet and we honored people from running triathlon, cycling, mountain biking. So you had a Chrissy Wellington there and you had an you had a, uh, a legendary runner like a Steve Scott who ran 136 sub, sub four minute miles. And then you had Taylor Finney from cycling and Henry Rono, another classic runner. And the cool part for me was the immediate bond between all of those athletes, because they knew if you're a good runner and I'm a great site, I'm Greg Lamont and I'm a great cyclist and you're Henry Rono and you were one of the best runners, you suffered for a living. You suffered to get there. Nobody gets to the top in endurance unless they suffer. So the immediate bond is fraternity and sorority of suffering that made everybody appreciate the fact that, yeah, I'm good at what I do, but look at him. And then <laughs> Davis Finney, when the top cyclist is talking to Will Farrell. Will Farrell was our celebrity athlete of the year. He had done the Boston Marathon, sub four hours, ran 356, and he did our he did our San Diego Triathlon Challenge and ran like a 133 half marathon with uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> but Will uh, Davis Finney's talking to Will Farrell and he comes up to me. He's like, you know, I feel like I should know that guy. Who is he? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's Will Farrell. That's that's uh, that's somebody you should know. His acceptance speech at our gala is up on it's on up online and it's still one of my favorite things is he got up and during the middle of his speech, he opened up a gel pack. He's like, you know, sometimes you just need a little extra nutrition. You got to stay fueled up. 
Uh, I didn't know when I got into the sport that I'd be shaving body parts. I didn't know you normally shave and <laughs> didn't know that you'd be eating these funny gel things. He was hilarious. It was great. You said that you, you, when you started out with the magazine, you pretty much didn't pay yourselves for about a year because you said that you believed in it so much. So what was it? Like, can you pinpoint you know like what why? I why did you believe in it so much? I just, there was, there was something about a finish line and a finish line when you, so you think about the sport of triathlon and you think about all the steps, right? The steps of, okay, I'm, I'm signed up for this race today. It's the alarm just went off. It's four in the morning. I don't want to get up. I don't need to prove anything to myself. I've done a million of these things, but you get up and then you drive over and you park and then you walk in the transition and all of a sudden your face lights up and because there's your buddies in my group it's the 60 to death category we got all of our old guys there we're always the first ones there usually there before the race director and it's we'll, we'll, we'll take a photo and we'll say you know it's like guys why do we do this and it's because we can so we know that by 8 30 in the morning we'll be in a beer garden we we will be with our best buddies we will have one, gotten past not wanting to get up. Two, gotten past the fact it's a little chilly out right now. Maybe it's a little rainy. And God, the water doesn't look really inviting. It's dark. It's, it's ocean is sort of a little angry right now. And then you get in the water and you, oh, you go, okay, I'm halfway through this. This is great. Now I'm on the bike. And you get on the bike and you're like, oh, my legs aren't loosening up. Now they're loosening up. I'm feeling good then you're done and you get in the run and you're feeling crappy because your legs feel like cement at the beginning. And then they start feeling good and then you're done. And it's like, you've gone through these over and over and over again. I don't want to be here. This sucks. This is great. I love this. And you finish with, I love this. And you're with this, this like-minded folks. And what I always tell people is triathlon. It's an equal opportunity abuser. It doesn't care if you're big or small or round or square, it doesn't care. doesn't care what you do for a living. doesn't care that you're a doctor, a lawyer, or that you're a bricklayer. It, it could care less. Get from point A to point B and you are traffic. And do that three times. Got to do it in the swim, got to do the bike, got to do run. And you just feel like it's 8.30 in the morning. The most, most of the world isn't even awake yet. And you've already accomplished something that most people never will accomplish. There, there's something special about that. And that's that's why this sport has always meant so much to me because I think it does, it changes lives for the better. And you, you've done the event, you've done triathlons a million times, but there's always that person who that's their first finish line. And seeing them and seeing the tears and seeing their family there, their family's not coming for your 10th triathlon, right? At that point, they're all sleeping in. But that first one, they got signs. They're there. They're hugging you. You've changed your life. You've you, maybe you came back from something. You were dealing with cancer. You were dealing with the loss of a loved one. You were dealing mm -hmm. with with doubt and injury. But now you've proven yourself. You've proven yourself right in believing in yourself and believing in that sport. So there's I've we've seen it over and over again. Our sport changes lives for the better. When those people did say that it was a, a fad, like, did you ever have any doubt? No doubt. No doubt whatsoever. It's funny because it's, 
it's, <laughs> I look back now and I go, it was 1980 and it was 108 of us who had just done this Ironman thing. And I basically came back to San Diego and, you know, and said, this sport is going to change lives. You know, and Mike Plant, who was, you know, doing running and triathlon news, running news, you know, changed the name to running and triathlon news. And he shared that belief in, in this crazy sport. And there was just something there that, that it's, it's a sexy sport, right? It, think about when you think about the transformation you see in people and their, just their appearance, they get into the sport and they get fitter. They feel better about themselves. It makes you a better parent, it makes you, you know, a better employee, a better employer. It's, it's just one of those things. It's cathartic. When you do it, you realize that it's, it's special and you want more of it. A lot is said, Bob, about um, Iron Man and the whole sort of, they don't really care about pros. They just care about age groupers. How do you view that? You know, my feeling is this, it's funny because uh, a number of years ago, people were saying, oh gosh, you know, Iron Man doesn't care about pros and their prize money was $5 million, right? For that year there were people were saying, you know, there's, 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 the pros aren't being taken care of by Iron Man. $5 million is a lot of money. It's great what PTO is doing now, but Iron Man was doing it before. And what I've always been proud of with our sport is starting in 1986, when we had prize money for the first time in Kona, it was always equal prize money. It wasn't a, you know, Wimbledon type of thing where, where men got X amount and women got less. It was like, no, it's right from the very beginning. But, you know, I think years ago, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gills, James Gills, who owned Ironman, right? He bought Ironman. He was a top cataract surgeon in the world. This guy would do 30 to 50 operations a day. And I was interviewing him. I was down there and he had like six weight, six operating rooms and a weight room. And he'd do operation, 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 operation weights. And he'd do that all day long. And he rode his bike to work. And he's just, you know, he was an Ironman guy. And I, and there was a lot of people in his, in his world who would say, you know, that's a lot of operations in a day. That's, that's, that's too many. And he goes, Bob, anytime you stick your head above the crowd, someone is there to take a swat at. You know, when you're at the top, people are always going to take a swat at. So it's easy to say, you know, Iron Man should do this. Iron Man should do that. We all feel ownership, right? We all feel ownership because we've all been, we're, we're part of that family. We're Iron Man. And, you know, the reality is that I think we're in a good era right now. If Iron Man's putting in 5 million bucks, and, you know, on an end, and I'm not sure if that's still the number now that was before COVID, but a 5 million bucks is a lot of money. And then you've got the PTO, then you've got Super League, then you've got WTS, and you've got, uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, oh, Clash Series. There's more and more opportunities for pros, I think, than ever before. And you got to give cred, the street cred to, uh, to PTO. Because if they hadn't come around in 2020 to help the pros out, I think there's a lot of pros who would not still be pros. I think a lot of people would be back doing you know, other jobs. So I, at this point, I think it's a great era to be a pro. Um, you, know, you look at what Ironman is doing this year with there's going to be over 5,000 people racing in Kona, Thursday race and a Saturday race. And hopefully... Uh, that's a small volunteer base that you have on that island. So hopefully everything goes great, which I'm sure it will. 
because Diana Birch is simply one of the best event directors around. It's funny, though. I mean, you talk to the people at Ironman, you know, Paul Hullo, Paul Nevy Frazier, Andrew Messick, uh, Diana Birch. And the number one question is always, how do we make the races better? How do we do more? And, you know, that's it. I don't think you would see these corrals filling up as quickly as they do if they were doing something, if they weren't doing something right. And anytime you stick your head above the crowd, someone is there to take a swat at it, which I, I totally get. And it's that I've never forgotten that when Dr. Gills told me that, because it's, it's true that the top dog is always the one people are taking shots at. What do you think the future looks like for Iron Man? I think it looks great. You think about all these ITU athletes uh, coming in, you know, look at Gustav and Christian. And it took Jan Frodeno won the gold in 2008. 2008 and then, right, then he then he won the Ironman. Was it 14, 15, something like that? I mean, maybe 15, 16. Yeah. So but Christian did it in the same calendar year, not calendar. Yeah. And it was like within yeah. eight, 10 months. He went from winning an Ironman world, went from winning a gold medal to Ironman world championship. And just seeing this group of young athletes, um, you know, Taylor Nib and folks like that, when uh, me having immediate success, uh, Katie Safaris at the Collins Cup, there, there's a, just a, there's, there's so many cool things happening. Probably the one, my one main concern is there used to be, you go from the Olympics, and we had a great series of Olympic non-draft races in the U.S. That lifetime series that Toyota was involved with was phenomenal because it sort of gave people transition from, hey, I don't really want to go and do a 70.3. I remember Hunter Kemper telling me, you know, I don't want to be thinking about gels and nutrition and things like that. I get it. So, but they can make a living at that distance. Now you have to step up to 70.3 in full if you want to make a living in the sport after if after your days as a Olympic hopeful are gone. So I, I still would like to see more short distance races because I'm, my concern is uh, too many Ironmans, too many people doing too many Ironman races. And if you're a world-class half marathoner, how many half marathons are you running a year? Three, maybe our guys are doing three a month. Right. Like, and like, yeah. And, and when, when you're interviewing some of the athletes um, on Breakfast with Bob or whatever, and you hear them saying, you know, you've done your research, is there a little bit of you sometimes inside that's wanting to say, John, look after your body, like, you know? Exactly. Well, my concern is you look at, you know, a Dave Scott, multiple heart ablations, right? Greg Welch, heart issues. Uh, there's a lot of other athletes. A lot of the age group athletes have had heart issues. And that's... Dave Scott did, Dave, well, I know Mark Allen did, I think, 11 or 12 Ironmans in his career, period, over 15 years, and having heart issues. So what happens with our athletes now who are doing, they're doing five, six Ironmans a year for multiple years? And that, that's my concern, is training obviously has changed a ton, especially on the bike. but. Uh, it's still the dehydration. It's still the traveling somewhere and it being a little, little under the weather. Cause you and I both know there's that ragged jet, that jagged red line. And one side of it, you're ready to, to break eight hours. The other side of it, you're injured or sick. 
you know, it's it's that thin. That's the old the old Sebastian Keenley line. You know, there's a thin line between being fit and effed. Yeah, that that's that's absolutely the case, and we see it all the time where people come into the show in Kona. And I remember Jan Ferdano after winning two years in a row, he came on the show in Kona. And my wife Heidi is very observant, and she is very good at as Jan got up to leave. And she goes, he's too skinny. This isn't, he's, he's probably not going to finish. Now is the year he walked, right? And the, yeah, so it, it, I think what happens is there's this balance there, swim, bike, run. And then I think that year when Jan won and Patrick was third and ran 239, I think right away Jan goes, I got to run faster next time because this guy's coming. And then what happens? You go, okay, I'll go vegan. I'll go, you know, uh, I'll, I'll lose weight. Well, then you lose your power on the bike. It's that, that's what's so intriguing about our sport is watching people like a Lionel in St. George, not going with Sebi and Cam and Sam Long on the bike and doing his own thing, getting off the bike, putting on running clothes and going off and having this phenomenal run and running his way in the second place. That's the, the transformation of athletes Athletes changing from I was not a good runner to the run is my is a weapon now. That's pretty fun to watch. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Thank you very much to super sponsors, resilientnutrition.com and my awesome patrons. Without them, you would not be getting a podcast week in, week out. It just wouldn't happen. You can get 10% off everything over at Resilient Nutrition. Just use the code INSIDETRY10. And if you do like the show and you want to show your support, you can sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com forward slash show. You'll also get money off over at confuel.co.uk. Use the code INSIDETRY. They do a variety of goodies. 10% is the discount you can get with the code inside try off sun creams and skin protection at lifejacketskin.com. But that is it for this week. So happy training, happy racing, and I'll speak again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.